Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you this morning on this beautiful spring day. Oh, I love spring, don't you? The world is coming back to life, and it's going to be a beautiful day today. I want to welcome you, and I'll welcome everybody who's watching online. Thank you so much for joining us. And before I get started in my message, I just want to say one thing real quickly. If you're a guest here today, I'm not going to ask you to stand up or raise your hand or anything like that, but I know that at times you go through seasons of life, and sometimes you come to that point where you just feel like God might be moving you to maybe a different place. And so all I want to simply say to you is this. If you are looking for a home church and you just haven't found one yet, I'm going to encourage you right after the service to go out to our guest services. We've got some people there that will answer all your questions. They'll give you some information. And we want you to make a a decision that's right for you. But I would just ask that you would do that, okay? So we're in a series right now, and the series is called A Work in Progress. How many of you know that you are a work in progress? Raise your hand, okay? That's a good thing, okay? And I want you to understand is that God will not be finished with us until he calls us home. So we're in a study of the book of James. And remember, I want to remind you once again is that this is a very practical book. This is a book that James, remember he was the oldest half-brother of Jesus, he wrote this book. James was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And so he writes this very practical letter, and this letter is almost like a textbook. Now, being a former teacher, I love this. You know why? Because there's homework. Now, what I want to say to you this morning is very simply this. I want to remind you of the theme of the book of James, and I hope that you brought your steel-toed shoes, because that's what James does. It steps on our toes a lot, but that's good for us. I know it's not fun, but it's good for us. You see, when you come to church and you hear the Word of God, it is never God's desire that you just be a hearer of the Word. He wants us to be a doer of the word. So God's expectation is is that if we allow his word, his promises, his word will always accomplish its purpose. Now the theme in the book of James, you remember, is this. Real faith provides real evidence. I will say that again. Real faith provides real evidence. That's the theme of James. In other words, it can't be faith if it's not seen in our daily lives. Would you agree? This means yes. You know, I really believe that that's probably the biggest problem that the world has with us Christians. I think what they were say is this. You know what, if you Christians, if you believers, for those of you who call yourselves followers of Jesus, if you would just act like you say you believe, we wouldn't have any problems with you. But that's true in anything, isn't it? We say one thing, but we do another, and that always creates problems. It's true. Our words should align with our actions. Think about this. When that doesn't happen, what does the world call us? A hypocrite, right? But that's what hypocrisy is. It's when our actions contradict what we say we believe. So, if you call yourself a Christian, if you call yourself a follower of Christ, I want you to understand something, and that is this. The world has every right to demand that you and I are going to act differently than the rest of the world. You see, 
The problem is, is there's, there's too much world in us and there's too much world in the church. And so our expectation should be is that when we see followers of Jesus, we should expect that they're going to act differently, right? You demand that. Think about this. You're at the stoplight. Somebody has just pulled in front of the car in front of you and cut them off. They honk their horn, and you see this hand going like this and maybe doing some other things, okay? And then what happens? You begin to scan the vehicle, and there it is on the license plate. In God we trust. And you say to yourself, hypocrite, right? I mean, the same thing is true. You're walking, you're driving behind a car, and you see that sticker that says, you know, we value them both, and you know. And what happens? Our expectations go higher, right? I want you to look at something in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Look at what it says here. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now, this is what Matthew tells us here. It's very plain. When our actions don't align with God's word, you can put your eternal future in jeopardy. But not only can you put your eternal future in jeopardy, you also can become a barrier, a wall that keeps the rest of the world from seeing the truth. All right, now I want to go back a little bit in the New Testament, and I want to say something to you. Because the Apostle Paul tells us, in, early on in the book of Romans, he tells us that it is by grace, grace through faith, that we are saved, okay? What Paul is talking about here is the root of faith. What is the root of faith? The root, or I should say, the root of salvation is faith. So what Paul is talking about is the root. What James is talking about is the fruit, So in other words, if you have the root, it will be seen in your fruit. If you don't have the fruit, guess what? There's a problem with your root. In other words, real faith, real faith, people, must be witnessed in our actions. Now chapter one, When James jumps in and starts talking about chapter one, this is what his theme was. He tells us about what real Christians are supposed to look like. And in chapter one, he says, real Christians exhibit strength. They don't quit, they don't give up, and that strength is demonstrated in their patience in trials. Now in chapter two, James has a new theme, and the theme is this, real Christians are real. Stand with me out of respect for God's Word. As I read from James chapter 2, and I'm just going to read verse 18. Listen very carefully. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. This is God's word for God's people. Let's pray together. Father, I believe and I know that I'm a child of God. 
I pray that my actions would make it clear to all so that I don't hardly ever have to use words. I pray this and believing in the powerful name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. Last week, you probably remember that at the end of chapter one, we ended with these words. James says, do not merely listen to God's word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. So what's James doing? James now in chapter two is continuing what he started in chapter one. And what James is telling us is this, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, growth is expected, right? We talked about that last week. When a little baby is grown, when baby is born, I should say, we expect it to grow, don't we? And James is telling us the very same thing in his book, and he's telling us growth is necessary and growth is expected. So now, James, as he bridges chapter one to chapter two, he says this, Christian, keep on becoming. Now, keep on becoming what? That's what I want to know. And James tells us, keep on becoming a doer of the Word of God. And now he gives us an example, okay? Take a look at this. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, you have, not, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. So I want to make sure everybody understands what James is telling us. Real faith is seen in action. You can see real faith, and the way you see it is in your actions. So what is James doing here? He is giving us an example of what faith does not look like. In the first chapter we saw, here's an example of it. Now he tells us this is what it does not look like. Okay, well, let's, let's just learn about this a little bit. So James, remember, was the leader of the church in Jerusalem, and he writes this general letter to the people who are former members of his parish. Remember what happened in Acts chapter 12? In Acts chapter 12, there was a great persecution that came, right? And the people were spread all over the region. This is who James is writing to. Many of these people who are getting this letter are former members of his church. Remember last week we talked about that there were two things that they were experiencing. Number one, as they were trying to adjust to their new surroundings, number one, they were being persecuted, and number two, they experienced poverty. But now James gives an example of something else. Do you remember in January when we did the, when we did the, the, the sermon series on the letter to the seven churches? Remember that? And you remember that every church that we studied 
wherever they were, they were always persecuted. But do you remember how they were persecuted? They were ignored. And why were they ignored? The same reason they're ignored today, because they're Jews. Why does the world not like them? Because they're Jews. That's the reason. So here's a group of people, and they're spread all throughout the region, and wherever they are, they're being ignored. They're being ignored in all of their religious, their, their business, and all of their social aspects, and they are being left completely out. Okay, now, here's what's happening. You know what those people who are being ignored, those people who are being shown favoritism, those people who are experiencing racism, you know what they're doing? They're doing the exact same thing to the people within their own church. And the Bible tells us that they're showing favoritism to the rich over the poor. Now, I wanna make sure that you're clear in what James is saying here. James never once says, I don't like the way you're treating the rich. Doesn't say that at all. He loves the way he's, they're treating him. What he doesn't like he does not like the way they are treating those who are not wealthy. They are being treated poorly as an outcast. And James says, this ought not to be. Now, the word favoritism, the word favoritism means to lift the face. So in other words, what James is telling us is that when you show favoritism, you are making all of your judgments based on what you see and is based on how they look externally. So a person walks in and you see they have gold rings on and they've got nice jewelry and they've got all kinds of diamonds and they've got all the kinds of nice clothes and they're driving the nicest, latest, latest chariot you know that they are wealthy and you treat them different than somebody that comes in dressed maybe not quite as nice. Let me ask you a question and see if you've thought about this before. Why is it that we treat the rich different than we do the poor? You know what the answer is? Because many times we think that the rich might do something for us and the poor can't do anything for us, right? All right, now, let's go back to the Old Testament, okay? To a story that everybody is very familiar with, okay? Here it is. It's back in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. Listen to this, and you'll know where I'm talk, going with this. But the Lord said to Samuel, now who's Samuel? Remember, Samuel is the leader, he's the prophet of God's people right now. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. All right, now I want to stop right there and say something. God has nothing against tall people, okay? <laughs> I want to make sure you understand that. That's not what he's saying here, okay? Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the what? Heart. This is the story of King David, isn't it? Remember, Samuel comes, and he's going, and he's looking for the next king, and the very first brother comes, and he's tall, he's handsome, he's good-looking, he's wise, and Samuel, in his mind, because he looks at the outside appearance, says, this must be God's man. 
And you remember what happened? He went through all of the brothers, and Samuel didn't get anything. And then God said, there's one more brother. He's kind of cute. He's a little guy, and he's out in the fields. His name was David, and when David came, what did God say? This is the man. Now, I want you to listen to me very carefully. What was it that King David was known for? A man after God's own what? Heart. My friends, God looks at the heart because it's the heart that's important to him. And if it's the heart that's important to us, guess what? It's the heart that should also be important to you and to me. Do you remember a little bit ago when we were reading through this, it was in verse eight, I added that in there. I didn't tell you about that, sorry about that. But in verse eight, do you remember it talked about a royal law? Remember that? What is a royal law? A royal law is a law that is established by somebody that is royal. And you know who the royalty is here? He's the king of kings. His name is Jesus. The kingdom that he's referring to is the kingdom of God. And what we learn from this, James tells us, is this. The prevailing attitude, the prevailing law in the kingdom of God is love. So I want you to think about this. Here's what we learn. You know what the mark of a mature believer is? Love. You want to know if you are growing in Christ? You know what the question you need to answer yourself is this. How am I at loving others? So my friends, right off the bat, we find out two very important marks that James tells us about a mature Christian. Number one, we see their strength in their patience during trials. And the second thing is they love one another. Does that make you think of any Bible verse? Remember what Jesus said to his disciples? This is how the world will know that you are mine. By how? By the way we what? Love one another. Now, a question I hope you're asking yourself right now is this. Okay, I get that, Pastor Bob. But where do I get this love? That's a great question because I'm going to show you, okay? It's found in Romans chapter 5, verse 5. Look at what the scriptures teach here. And hope does not put us to shame. Now, here it is. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Do you understand what God is saying here? He is telling us in his word, we get our love from him. And that love is poured in us so that it can flow through us. It's not love if it doesn't flow through you. Now, this is such an important point that I want you to see what this looks like, okay? All right, here's you or me, okay? And this is what an individual looks like who has a lot of stuff in their life. Here's what I mean. Take a look at this, okay? This is a strainer, and I'm pouring water into the strainer here, and I want you to notice something. There's nothing coming through it. You know why? 
because this individual believes that life around, revolves around them. This individual has a lot of things in their life that clogs up what God wants to do through them. You see, this individual believes, and because of sin, because of guilt, because of shame, because of all those, those things that clog us up, this is what it looks like, and God tells us this is not what love is supposed to look like. God's love is made to flow through us so it can flow into other people's lives. All right, now, so, let me show you what that's supposed to look like. See if you notice the difference. When God works through an individual who wants to love, who doesn't just want to hoard that love, but wants to give it away, this is what it's supposed to look like. Isn't that beautiful? That's the way God wants our lives to be, and I'm going to give you an example of that, but here's what I want you to remember. God's love is poured in us so it can go through us, and here's the thing you can't forget. That is a never-ending source. God's love never ends. There's no end of it. It always fills us up. All right, one more thing before we go on to this, okay? And I want to show you this. Listen to this. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and its regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity, one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. So what is it that Paul is telling us in Ephesians? Here's what it is. Every type of barrier, every type of divider in this world was destroyed at the cross. There's no male, there's no female, there's no Jew, there's no Greek, there's no white, there's no black. It's all been destroyed at the cross And so God says, why would you pick it up again? Those barriers are gone. We are all one. And what is our oneness in? Our unity is found in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Right? All right, let's go on. Someday you'll get excited about that. All right, now, I want to go to verse 14, and I just want to read this real quickly, okay? Here's what it says. So what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Ooh, now I've got your attention. I want you to understand that in the Greek, when that's translated, this is what it says. Can that kind of faith save him? All right, now, I want, I want you to listen very carefully, okay? James is not contradicting what Paul already said. Remember, Paul has told us very clearly that we are justified by, pay, by faith apart from the works of the law, right? It is by grace that we have been saved through Christ. It's faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. But James now adds, but that faith must be seen in our actions, If there aren't actions, that faith then is dead. 
You see, James is telling us here that Paul is referring to this is how a sinner becomes a saint. James is talking about how that saint now brings heaven down to earth. And he simply tells us this. The way it's done is you're not just a hearer of the word, but you're a doer of the word. Real faith is alive. Now, let's go on here. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, well, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself is not accompanied by action, is dead. All right, so what's James doing for us right now? Well, he's telling us what a dead faith looks like. You know what a dead faith looks like according to the scriptures is? When you see someone in need and you do nothing. I'm going to let that sink in a little bit. When you see someone in need and you do nothing, that's a dead faith. Last week, remember what we did? I gave away some gift cards from Quick Trip, remember? For those of you that weren't here, I had a couple individuals come in first service and a couple individuals come in second service and I gave them a gift card and it was for $100. And here was my instructions to them. This week, I want you to go to a quick trip and when you get there, I want you to pray and I want you to ask God, who is it? Whose life do you want me to work into? And so, one of the gentlemen went to a quick trip, okay? When he got there, he went to one of theirs where he saw a lot of Audis and a lot of nicer vehicles, and he said, I'm going somewhere else. So he went to a different quick trip, okay? One downtown, okay? When he got there, he prayed. And he prayed, God, I'm praying because Pastor Bob told me to pray. And I'm asking you to show me who it is, whose life you want me to work in. We didn't get anything right away, so he went to the manager in the quick trip, and he told them, he said, he told her what, what he was getting ready to do, and she thought that was awesome. So he went back into the car, and then it happened. There was a woman that drove up. She got out of her vehicle, and the vehicle wasn't a very nice vehicle. When she got out, she took the handle off the gas pump, and this gentleman went to meet her and said to her, he told her who he was, his name, and then he said, I need you to understand something. I'm here because my church sent me. You see, my pastor told me that we're out to show people what Jesus looks like with skin on, and I believe that God has told me, you're the one I'm supposed to help. You know what she said to him? She goes, no, I'm good. I, I don't need any help. I want you to understand something don't ever take that as an answer. It doesn't matter how bad off you are, that's how strong our pride is. Well, this gentleman didn't leave. He said, no, ma'am, you don't understand. My pastor told me that this is what I needed to do, and I want to help you. She said, okay, and she turned her back to him 
he filled up her vehicle completely full with gas. When he was done, she turned around and looked at him. Tears were flowing down her face. He said, ma'am, what happened? Are you okay? Did I say something to offend you? And she said, no. I just came from my boss's office. I lost my job. And on the way here, I was praying that God would provide for me gas. Faith without actions is dead. Now, I want to tell you one other thing, and I thought this was kind of funny. This same gentleman went to help a lady who had, was from a, a, a Spanish descent, a, a nationality. Forgive me if I said that wrong. And she couldn't understand English very well. And so as he was explaining to her what he was doing, there was a gentleman who understood and spoke Spanish that came up, and he said, no, 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 sir, she thinks you're telling him that you're Jesus. <laughs> I'm just gonna leave it alone, okay? But here's what I want you to understand, and this is the lesson that I believe that God wants to share with us today. And maybe this isn't you, but I will admit that this is what I've done, okay? There's been times, and I've driven around, and I've seen somebody in need, and you know what I've said in my mind? I know Pastor Jordan never does this. I'll just pray for them. And you know what I've learned? What James is telling us is this. Don't you ever let prayer be a substitute for action. Don't ever let prayer pray for them, but don't let it be a substitute for action. All right, we're almost done now, okay? Let's go on. In James 2, verse 18, 9, it says, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Okay, so what is it that James is saying? Here's what he's saying. This is what faith is not supposed to look like because it's not faith. Now remember, James is writing to a group of people, they're Jews. Do you know what the Shema is? They would say this several times during the day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That was part of their Jewish heritage. It's still a part of that Jewish heritage. And you know what? If somebody were to come to you in today and say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, would you believe that? Of course you would, right? We know he's the one and only God. And what James is telling us is that if you know that, good for you, because even the demons know that. And they shudder. What's James talking about? James is talking about the difference between knowledge and faith. You can know about God. You can recite everything about how the world was created. You can know everything about God. But if that faith is not accompanied by works and actions, then what you have is not faith, it's just knowledge. Now, James is going to end us with one last illustration. Here it is. You foolish person, 
Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? I love this because I don't have to give it. The Word of God does. And look what he says. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. All right, I'm going to go back to right there for a second, okay? All right. So here's what James is telling us. He's giving us an example. And the example he uses is, this, is the story of Abraham and Isaac. God told Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son whom you love, and I want you to sacrifice him on the altar. The Bible tells us the very next morning, Abraham, his son Isaac, and one of the servants got up, and what did they do? They, head, they headed to the place that God was going to show them. On the third day, the Bible says that he saw the mountain. It was Mount Moriah. Remember what Abraham said to the servant? Stay here. My son Isaac and I will go. We will worship God, and we will what? Come back. Right? Now look at what this verse says here, because there's a little bit of an issue here, isn't there? Look what it says. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? He didn't offer Isaac on the altar, did he? No. In Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith, every one of those Old Testament figures that is listed there is listed there because of one reason. They demonstrated what they believed by their action. Their belief was backed up by something that they did. And that's what we see in Abraham's life. Abraham believed God. What did he believe God about? Here's what it was. Remember when God came to Abraham and he said, I'm going to give you a son. Remember they tried with Hagar and they had Ishmael. Well, that didn't work out very good, did it? But he said, I'm going to give you a son. And through that son, a whole nation is going to come. That's what Abraham believed about God. And because he believed that about God, he was actually going to go with through it and sacrifice his son knowing that God would raise him from the dead. And God knew it. My dear friends in Christ, it's not just faith. It's faith being demonstrated by what we do that gives us the power to be what God has called us to be. I want to close with this now. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for face is panim. That I am in that panim means it's plural. So it's not face, it's faces. So in other words, when you say, I want to see the face of God, what it actually is, I want to see the faces of God. Now, let me ask you a question. So how do you see the faces of God? See the sunrise this morning? Wait till you see the sunset tonight. 
Did you witness the rain over the last few days? Have you looked at your grandkids or your children lately? Have you admired your spouse? All of these are examples of the faces, the blessings of God. Now, when we have faith in God and it is seen in our actions, you become the face of God. Look in this room. Look at how many different faces of God there are in this room. And my dear friends in Christ, our world needs to see the faces of God. Now there's one thing I forgot to tell you. When that lady who had tears in her eyes, when she told this gentleman that she didn't have any money for gas, that she had just lost her job, after he had filled her vehicle up with gas, she said to him, I know I don't know you, can I give you a hug? Now listen to me. When you're ever in the presence of God, you want to be as close to him as you possibly can for as long as you possibly can. That's why we need to be the faces of God and it's done not just by telling somebody I'm a believer, but it's done through our actions, the way we live our life. So here's my prayer for you today. Sometime this week, sometime this week, would you allow God to use you to be a face in somebody else's life? And all you have to do is believe and live it out in your actions and watch God blow your socks off. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is a hard book, probably because it steps on my toes a lot. But I'm so thankful that it's real. And I'm so thankful that it makes it so plain to me about, Lord, what you want me to be about. I need to grow in my faith. I need to grow in my walk. But faith must be seen in the way I live my life. I'm praying, Father, somehow, some way, this week, lead me to someone that you planned since the beginning of time to where I can demonstrate my faith, not by my words, but by my actions. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you stand with me? This is where you get the strength to do what you need to do, okay? Ready? Lord, bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give his peace, his joy, and his strength. Go and be a face of God. God bless you. We'll see you next week.